This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The whole purpose of self-care is about recovery, number one. So if you're in a place of burnout, it's about recovery. It's about preservation so that you can move forward in your life. And it's also about resilience. So once you've recovered and you're in this place where you've sort of preserved your sense of self in that, it's about thriving, coming to a place where you can thrive out of that state of burnout. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss seasonal changes and your health. We'll hear how to improve your happiness. We'll learn about soups and stews you can make from fall produce. And lastly, we'll find out about mindful self-care. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Well, Gordon, how are you today? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure to have you on. You know, it's that time of year where, you know, all of a sudden you notice, hey, you know, it's not light out when you're waking up and you go outside maybe to walk your dog and you can see your breath. And we're, we're heading towards that darker, colder part of the year, yeah? Yeah, you know what? I was looking at this the other day, and I was resisting the urge to turn on the heat in the house. But yeah. you know what? When Mother Nature says it's cold outside, you have no choice but to turn it on. The seasons marches on, and, and you've got to do what you've got to do to stay comfortable and to stay healthy. So we're, I'm going to draw an analogy here, right? So like that first time you turn on the furnace... You always, like, there's that moment, there's that aha moment where you can smell how it's kind of burning off some of the lint or whatever that's caught in the ducts. That's right. Right? And, you know, it's like you hit your head, you go, oh, I should have done some routines. I should have done some maintenance because now I need my furnace. And I think that's kind of the theme of what we're talking about today, right? Let's talk about the kind of maintenance that we can do for our bodies to get us ready so that our furnace works. Yeah? For sure. As the season changes, we have to prep our body systems, right? Yeah. This is all for, what I say, to, to optimize health. Yep. Right? And it's not to say that if you don't do these things, you're going to drop down and expire. You know, no. but it's like anything else, we want to optimize our health. Right. An ounce of prevention is right. what, is, what is it. We're doing the preventative. It's like the proverbial oil change in your car. Right. right? So one of the first things I, I like to think about is as the days get shorter, there's less sunlight. Yeah. Right. And what has been really, there's a lot of press play about has been vitamin D. 
Yes. Right. And vitamin D, it seems to be connected with almost everything. Right. And so one of the things normally during the summertime, if you're out on a board, short sleeves, you get a lot of sunlight, no problem. Your body generates vitamin D. As the weather gets colder, we put on our jackets, you know, less skin gets exposed to sunlight. Days are shorter. Everybody's short on vitamin D. Right. So the easiest way to get vitamin D into you is to supplement it. And you don't need a ton of it either, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the day when vitamin D first became a, a thing, people used to try and measure their vitamin D levels. And what they found was that vitamin D, everybody was vitamin D deficient. So right. nowadays, nobody even bothers checking because we know that you're going to be vitamin D deficient. Right. And, and, and you can't get enough vitamin, even though they add vitamin D to our milk still, I think. You're not going to get enough from your diet. You're not going to get enough. I mean, you'd have to drink a lot, a lot of milk to get the quantities that you'd probably get in a supplement, right? Okay. And the nice thing about vitamin D supplements, they're not that expensive. Right. Right. In all fairness, as far as price goes, vitamin D is probably one of the cheapest vitamins you can get out there. And there's no problem with taking it regularly. I mean, my whole family takes it every day. No, know? there isn't. I mean, there, I know there are people who take like up to ten to 20,000 IU a day. Now, I'm not advocating ten to 20,000 IU a okay. day, right? I mean, it's like anything else. There are people who take huge amounts with no ill effects. But again, it depends on where you are in your health, right? For most people, you know, daily recommended dose by um, Health Canada is 1,000 IU a day. But in all fairness, that's rather low. That's the equivalent of taking the RDA for, say, vitamin C, which is like 60 milligrams. Nobody takes 60 milligrams. Right. right? People take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. The nice thing about vitamin D and vitamin C, etc., all the vitamins, the safety margins are huge. Right. Right? So you can take a lot more than the 1,000 IU a day. Does it matter how big a person you are or how old you are as to how much vitamin D you should be taking? As you get older, again, you're more and more deficient, right? Mm-hmm. And usually size really doesn't make that much of a difference, okay? Because, again, safety margins are huge, right? And if you're doing it on a daily basis, day in, day out, day in, day out, that's how you get your vitamin D into you because it does have a certain lifespan in your body. Now, one of the things we do know about a lot of um, nutrients, if the body sees it on a daily basis, it doesn't care to save it up too much, right? right. So it comes in, the, all the body says, ah, we're expecting it tomorrow, so we won't bother saving it up, so we get rid of it, right? So one of the things is that when you start taking any kind of supplementation, it's never good to stop cold turkey, right? right? The analogy I'll use is if you're trying to lose weight. If people say, oh, we start, just restrict your calories. Well, one of the things the body says is, ha, huh, we're not getting as much food. So what do you do? We throttle along the engine so your metabolism drops because it's an attempt that the body goes into survival mode, right, right. Mm-hmm. for weight loss, right? So it's the same idea with any of these vitamins. So if you're not getting as much, what happens is the body will throttle down and don't kick it out as much, but it takes time for it to recognize that. That's why I always say, don't stop cold turkey. Wean it down if you want, but don't stop cold turkey. So my, my family takes the vitamin D even through the summer. But like, if you weren't inclined to do that, if you're going to go transitioning and out, what would you say? Is it, is it the beginning of fall through the end of spring? Or I, Yeah. As the days get shorter, start taking your vitamin D. Okay. Right, especially for people of color, darker skin, mm-hmm. etc., because there's lots of studies to show that individuals with darker skin actually, you know, are not as efficient at producing vitamin D in the winter time because 
the whole idea with darker skin is to protect you from the sun. Right. And if you're not getting enough sun, you're not going to get enough vitamin D. Okay. Right? Vitamin D is basically made by the sunlight falling on your skin. And the sunlight activates mechanisms in the body so that your body produces vitamin D. But if you're not getting the sunlight, you're not getting enough vitamin D. With less sunlight, is there anything that we need to concern ourselves other than getting enough vitamin D? Well, that's the one that everybody is concerned about. But there are things like, as the sun gets less and less, there are people who get something called seasonal affective disorders, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning they're not getting enough sunlight. So for those people, again, you know, you, you try to get some more light with full spectrum light. Okay, mm-hmm. that, that's another thing that people use. But for most of us, we don't suffer from that. There's a minority of people who do suffer from that. Okay, But the other things that you should be able to do, one thing with, uh, as you get less and less sun is that you find people get, for want of a better way of saying is that they don't get as much exercise. Because right. when the sun was up, you had lots of daylight, right? You go for a run, yep. right? As the days get shorter, you sit down and you say, ah, don't feel like running today. Yep. It's dark and it's cold. It's a short, right? it's a shorter walk at night with your dog when it's, you That's know. That's right. When the wind is blowing up, you're behind. Exactly. Right? Especially on a rainy fall day. Yep. Right? You So, again, look at your exercise. Look at your routines. And sometimes the exercise, it's all about routines, right? Once you get into a routine, hello, high water, you, you just do it. Right, but on on the other side of things that you have to look at is also you, you look at your sleep patterns, you look at stress issues, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things I always like to do is fall is a great time to do a detox, right? And usually when people think of a detox, they want to do one where they say, "Oh, I've done this great detox. I feel ten pounds lighter." Praying to the porcelain gods, right? Yeah. and they feel they've really done something. You don't need to do something that drastic because in all fairness, your toxins don't build up overnight. You can't get rid of them overnight. Either, right. right? Yep. It's a slow thing that you do and you got to do it over time to help get you the best benefits out of it. So things like you should do in detox, first focus on the liver, right? Because that's one of the most important organs for detoxing. And I know people do the colon, but usually for the colon in all fairness, if you have regular ball movements, the colon is really good. Yeah, let's leave colon for another day. Let's focus on why people should maybe start with the liver if they're going to do a cleanse. Why do you think that's important? Well, the liver is the, is the organ that breaks down almost all the toxins that come into your body. And when I say the word toxins, I, I don't necessarily mean poisons per se. Right. Like, for example, stress hormones that we produce and so on. Um, the corticosteroids, etc., that will come in. But you have naturally occurring stress hormones. Those things need to be gotten rid of, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you take stuff in your diet. It comes in. The GI tract is a one, one-way one door. It comes in, but it's not necessarily going back out that way, right? right? The body takes it has to break it down into another form, and then it gets excreted either in the urine or in the sweat. All right? So this is why for a way of detoxing is exercise is an excellent way of detoxing, but you have to work up a sweat. Yep. Right? Or for some of my Russian compatriots, they love to sit in a sauna. Right. Right? And you know what? It's a, also a good way of getting rid of toxins because it goes through the sweat. Right. Mm-hmm. People don't normally think of expired air as a way of getting rid of toxins. But, you know, I think of if you drink too much, one of the ways of checking how much alcohol you have in your body is to do a breathalyzer. Well, you know why? Because the lungs is one of the ways alcohol is excreted through the body. 
right? Right. So those are some of the things that you should think about. I mean, as the seasons change, you're indoors more, uh, your fireplace is going, you're getting more airborne toxins because you're indoors more. You know, so there's a whole bunch of different things you have to consider. All right. So if you're not in favor of, as you call it, praying to the porcelain god type of cleanse, Let's talk about what you think would be useful and and what you should be looking for in a liver detox. Well, I like to use things with a herbal base. And the reason I like herbal bases is because, A, they've been around a long time. B, they've been in use a long time. C, there's usually good studies supporting their efficacy and safety. Yes. That's the key, efficacy and safety, right? So with that in mind, there's a lot of herbs that people know. One of the most famous ones that almost everybody knows, as soon as you say the word liver, the first thing they think of is milk thistle. Yep. Right? But there's a whole bunch of different ones. There's some Chinese herbs, like, for example, Artemisia. That is definitely one of the herbs that, that people use. And there's a whole bunch of other ones, like something called gold coin, for want of a better way for translation of it. You know, those are some of the herbs that people have used, and they've gotten really good results with it. And a lot of these Chinese herbs, again, they've been used a long time. People use them as food, so people eat them on an ongoing basis. Well, let's talk about how to do this. So is this like a one-shot deal where you're cleansing for a week, or, or is that a longer yeah, program? Usually, I suggest for cleansing, it should be on an ongoing basis. The, the analogy I'll use for cleansing is that it's like sweeping the dust out of your house. The first pass, you'll get some. You don't get all. Second pass, you'll get some more. Third pass, you'll get some more. As long as you keep ahead of the dust. Okay, so for most people, I would say probably, you know, do a cleanse, maybe do it for a month, but it has to be slow and easy. It's not one of those things where you take it and then you feel sick for for the day type of thing. Right. right? And the reason is as follows. A lot of your toxins are not readily available for the liver to get rid of. Uh, Depending on your toxin load, sometimes the toxins are stored in the fat cells, right, Mm -hmm. or the fat vacuoles within the cells. It takes time for the stuff to come out of your cells to get to the liver. It has to come out of your cells, get into the blood, the blood then transports it to the liver. And that process doesn't take a day. And that process is not happening over in two minutes. Right, yeah. Right? It takes time. It's a diffusion thing. Unfortunately, this is how science works. This is how Mother Nature works. So by the same token, it takes time to go from the blood into the into the vacuoles or into the organelles of the cells, right? So okay. the vice, it's a vice versa thing. So the analogy I'll use is, you know, you're in a factory, you have lots of stuff, where do you put it? You take the stuff that you don't need and you stick it on the top rack. Mm-hmm. It takes time to take it down from the top rack to put it on the floor for the, fa- for the workers to actually break it down. It's the same analogy. If, if I were to do this for a month... What should my reasonable expectations be? I'm not going to be a brand new man, am I? No. What you'll find is is that you'll probably just feel better, for want of a better way of seeing it. Okay. Okay? You'll probably feel a little bit more healthier, etc. You're not going to be, well, I feel 10 pounds lighter. Right. Now, in all fairness, if you do one of those cleanses where you say you pray to the Boston God, you do feel 10 pounds lighter because if you've been sitting on the porcelain throne and praying to the porcelain gods and you're not eating, well, yeah. you will, you know, when it's, you recover from that, you will feel better. Uh, Gordon, I always weigh myself after I work out because I know, <laughs> I know I've lost a half a pound of water when I'm, when I'm exercising, but I know it's also false too. It's not my real weight. Yeah. You know, and it it's just makes you feel better, but in reality, nothing major has happened. Right, exactly. Okay? 
So whereas if you do slowly over time, you know, it gets rid of quite a bit of your toxins. I liken it. It's like CrossFit. It's more about bragging rights than it is yeah. about actual effect, right? Like if you exercise reasonably all the time, you'll get fit. You don't need to go crazy with it. But for sure, for sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, that was really insightful. Thanks for having me on board and we'll see you again. Fantastic. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to improve your happiness and health on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Did you know you can train yourself to focus more sharply, increase your attention span, and be healthy and happy simply by using the Happy Trainer in your home for less than 30 minutes just once or twice a week? Research shows that happiness remains higher for at least four months after 12 training sessions. The Happy Trainer runs on your PC and requires no special training. You just wear a really comfortable headband and watch some of your favorite DVDs and videos. As you become happier and more appreciative, the picture gets larger, so you know that you're retuning your basic brain functions. If you decrease your focus, the picture dims and then stops. Why don't you check out The Happy Trainer at happitrainer.com. For much more information, call 1-502-228-0605. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. John Cowan has been studying happiness and unhappiness for over 40 years, starting with his PhD research at the University of California, San Francisco, and continuing with studies performed at the National Institute on Drug Abuse Addiction Research Center, combining neuroscience and psychology. His exploration of brainwave biofeedback, mentored by its discoverer, and seasoned by clinical practice, culminated in the development of three new methods of training for focus, alertness, and eureka. Eureka is a way of measuring the brain's response to new learning and improving it, while also enhancing the positive feelings, including happiness and joy, which are created to motivate you to keep learning. He has developed several biofeedback training products that combine these methods to improve performance and emotion. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Oh, I'm fine today. I've been looking forward to this virtual meeting. Yeah, me as well. So it may be obvious to some out there, but do you think North Americans, the Americans like you and the Canadians like us, are a lot less happy than we were a year ago? Well, I, I think that's clearly true. This is a very unhappy time, and people are doing a wide variety of unsafe things, I believe, to try to regain contact with their external sources of happiness. For example, there are a number of sources of excited happiness, like sporting events, where the emotions are really moments that many people are living for and they miss them terribly. That's why we see people out in crowds exposing themselves to COVID and spreading it. Wearing masks is uncomfortable and makes us unhappy until we get used to it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, what we're seeing here is, you know, people are going out to bars and, and you know, congregating together. And, and, and you're right. I mean, it's a dangerous practice. What I find, you know, it's not just the direct, you know, health risks of COVID, but it's the spinoff effects. You know, it's, it's the stress and anxiety that really seem to be taking hold of this pandemic. But your, your focus is a little different. You have a phrase, uh, a happiness deficit. What does that mean, and how do you feel that that fits in? 
Well, I think you can actually, you know, measure the amount of happiness that people have, and people in the field have done studies of, you know, the most happy nation in the world, for example. And if we looked at our gross levels of happiness now and compared them to a year ago, I think we really have a much lower average level of deficit. I think we pay a lot less overt attention to our unhappiness than we do to anxiety and stress. Relatively little has really been written about it, yet everybody talks about their anxiety and stress. But happiness is considered to be most, you know, one of the most important goals in life by the Dalai Lama, other sages like Satyajitananda. And the pursuit of happiness is, of course, enshrined in the American Declaration of Independence. Right. So it's a very important component of our lives that has been really denigrated by this epidemic. I want to try and wrap my head around, like, what's the difference between happiness or a lack of stress or anxiety? Like, how does that manifest differently? Well, I think happiness is actually that moment when you really feel good. You don't have to feel good just because you're not in a moment of stress. You Fair can enough. feel flat, normal. There's a place for normality. And by the way, I think happiness is different than depression, right. the emotion of depression. And they affect different uh, neurotransmitter systems, for example. We have another approach to depression, which we're not really going to focus on today, but it works in a slightly different manner to affect different brain systems. Why do you think that we don't focus enough on happiness and we're, we're, you seem to be talking more about anxiety and stress? Why is that? Well, I think it's not as acceptable as an excuse for behavior. I think that it's not linked to a medical condition. Anxiety and stress are things that people can kind of excuse far more easily But we know that we have a little bit more control over our happiness, but we don't exercise it. By the way, I think happiness and unhappiness, actually, is clearly linked to addiction. That's what we started to find back in the 70s at the National Institute on Drug Abuse. And people use drugs or alcohol to feel good. The connection is really through decreased activity of the brain's dopamine reward system. And it's really in our fundamental brain biology not just on the circumstances of our lives. Right. You know, the positive psychologists have basically written off 50% of the source of happiness as unknown or genetic, or in some cases they reach as far as saying it's biological. But the difference between biological and genetic is really huge because biological can be modified, whereas something that's really basically genetic and not susceptible to epigenetic changes can't be modified. So are we losing focus on what the source of happiness is? I think we are. There is a major source of happiness within ourselves, and we do not seem to have taught people how to enhance it. This dopamine system in the brain is something that can be modified, and we've found out how to do that. And we can, I think, learn to increase our average level of happiness over time and to experience moments of calm or excited happiness at times when we want to. All right. Well, that's very intriguing. How do we do that? How do we regain our happiness levels? Well, we do this with a 
particular type of brain happiness exercise, which really takes advantage of the neuroplasticity of the brain, and particularly the dopamine system. I've discovered a, a brainwave that's associated with happiness and other positive feelings. Actually, this is something that's been known for a long time, but it was thought to be involved primarily with learning new material. It's a particular type of gamma brainwave, which goes up and down at 40 cycles a second, and we have a unique method to separate its effects from others. This brainwave also seems to trigger the reward system because the idea is once you learn something new, the brain is set up to encourage you to go out and do it again, learn something more. It's good for your survival. So my research collaborator, Dr. Sakadze, has actually shown in a published study that we can train people with it and increase their happiness level for four months or more in just 12 sessions done once a week. We call this brainwave Neureka because it is involved in the process of discovery and new learning. And it turns out that training to increase it also improves attention and memory and seems to be very helpful with autistic issues. So it's, it's now available in the simple neurofeedback system, the HAPPY Trainer, H-A-P-P-I, with dry electrodes, which also has feedback to improve your focus. Essentially, you watch a HAPPY DVD or video, and the picture gets bigger as you feel better. So you quickly learn how to increase it. And so what's the converse then? If, if you don't learn to be happy, what happens? Well, what happens is that your emotions are more or less out of control and there is not too much you can do but to be susceptible to the emotions of the moment. Okay. Uh, you might not necessarily, you know, things, things that are triggered by your actual experiences at the time. You may not necessarily get unhappy, right. but there is a greater possibility that you will. Basically, what you want to do is tilt the odds here. You want to increase the, the percentage of time that you are happy. And we'll talk about why in a moment, I'm sure. Well, okay. Well, but why? I mean, like, I'm a glass half empty guy. I don't tend to be happy. I think if somebody saw me, I, I can be happy. I can laugh and I can enjoy. But it's not my natural state. So would somebody like me, like, would I be able to become happier through practice? Yes, you would. And, uh, of course, the first thing that you need to do is to pay attention to what your happiness levels are. Most of us don't really pay attention to our levels from moment to moment. That's what the system allows you to do. And then it gives you a simple way to be able to increase your happiness level, your Nureka output, and to hold it for at least a short period of time, which then grows as you practice further. So other than obviously being happy, like what are the spin-off benefits of being happy? What does it lead to? There are huge benefits here, actually, because we know from a very complete research literature that happiness improves our long-term health, and happy people tend to be more successful in a number of ways. Also, several studies that are specifically done about immunity to viruses have been summarized in a Psychology Today blog, and basically they indicate that the happier you are, the less likely you are to even get a cold. So it seems that we have a way to actually modify our susceptibility to the ravages of even something like COVID, 
Right. Now, back in about 2015 or so, when we had a very good Surgeon General here in the U.S., he actually came out with an article basically saying we may be missing the most important sources of our health by not paying attention to happiness. And actually, this was an article summarized from some of his TEDx talks, which are still available. So the takeaway point, then, I would say is we should focus on our happiness and and make it part of our daily practice, yes? Yes, and if we have trouble with it, there are ways to actually use technology to boost our sensitivity to it and to make our practice more regular. And then we can put this into our daily lives. Once we have that ability to essentially change to a happy state on a moment's intent, then we can essentially put this into our daily lives as a practice that we do whenever we remember. And this is not like a meditation practice in the sense that we're not setting aside a specific part of the day for it and then doing something else otherwise. We're trying to integrate this into our moment-to-moment interactions in the world. And I do think, though, that it could be combined with some meditation. So basically, I think we can use technology to learn to be happier, and we can integrate that happiness into our daily life through a practice we call habitation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you. That was Dr. John Cowan. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking soups and stews with fall produce on The Tonic. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Linzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find her list of nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinzen.com. Welcome back to the show, TV star. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Jamie. For those who don't know, tell everybody what you did. So recently, I was um, on the Wall of Chefs, which is a food network show that is across Canada. And I had a lot of fun. Yeah, you killed it. You were great. Thanks. 
Jamie. You can actually look it up online if you want to watch it again. So just go to foodnetwork.ca, and my episode is called something about pepperoncini peppers. But today we're talking about something else. We're going to talk about soups and stews, right? Because it's, exactly, yeah. it's fall and everybody's cooking hearty food, yes? And get that crock pot out, that Instant Pot out. Yeah. Everyone's ready. All right, so where do you want to start? What should we talk about first? So to be honest with you, you know, if you think about fall, you think about comfort. Mm -hmm. And when you think about comfort, you think about hearty soups and you think about pureed soups. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different really yummy ingredients that you should be looking for. Right. I do a lot of roasting of vegetables at this point. If I'm making the purees and things like that, that's the root vegetables that seem to be coming into vogue this time of year. And that's what gives you the flavor. Like if you caramelize them first. So there's two ways to go about it. You can chop up a butternut squash or you acorn squash, any of the really hearty winter squash. Mm -hmm. You peel them, you chop them. Just be careful not to cut yourself because they're hard to peel sometimes. Well, you know, you can buy them cubed. I see butternut squash cubed you know the shelf life isn't as good but if you don't want to do the hassle of cutting up a squash that's there for you at pretty yeah much every that's store. a big tip and especially when you buy it pre-cut you know exactly how much is there right correct so um you don't have to weigh anything so you can roast it off with some of the heartier herbs mm-hmm. like rosemary thyme they infuse that flavor well the mm-hmm. fall flavor what other fruits and vegetables do you look for at this time of year Fennel's a really biggie. I don't know. I, you're not a fennel fan, No, right? I love fennel. Oh, you do love fennel. Absolutely. So it has the black licorice undertone, yeah. which I think gives like a wonderful flavor. And you can mix that with apples. So don't forget to mix your fruits and vegetables when you're roasting them. So mm-hmm. for instance, pears and apples go really well with squash. Yes, and they do fennel and onion and garlic. So don't forget about the allium vegetables, which are things like onion and garlic. And and, leeks, right? And leeks, yes. Leeks, they're so, you know, you can use leeks by frying them, crisping them up, roasting them, sauteing Mm -hmm. them such a good vegetable and very healthy. I also like shallots too. I find they kind of class up the purees. I don't know. I do. I agree with you. Sometimes I'll use shallots in place of onions and Mm -hmm. I'll mix them with garlic. I don't normally mix my onions with my shallots. Like I'll just, I don't know if you're the same. One or the other. One or the other. That's how I feel too. And it gives kind of like an onion garlicky, like it's a mix of onion and garlic. It's you're right. I really like a shallot. We can't forget about that. Yeah. And they roast up nicely. That's why, like sometimes garlic, you have to do the whole head of garlic and it can be a little bit of a to-do because you kind of have to mind it or it burns. Yeah. It's funny you say that because with shallots, it doesn't burn like garlic, right. but you get the flavor. And some people may get indigestion or stomach issues with garlic. So shallots is a really good thing to do. And also, as I mentioned, fennel has a bit of the undertone of the onion, like it gives a similar flavor without the bite. I've been putting fennel into my minestrone and it actually brightens things. Like I'm not a big celery guy. I don't like celery. I remember that. Yeah. I was it, trying to remember yeah. which one you didn't like. So it's celery. It's and the celery I don't like. Celery uh, does have a strong flavor, but fennel has a similar one. So fennel can be used in many different applications. I agree. Roasted, raw. Do you want to move on to spices or are we, are we done with fruit and veg? Yeah, let's move on to spices, one of my favorite topics. Okay, and it's so. funny because just prepping for this, I actually read about different spices. And I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. Um, which do you think is the most common spice? Like dried spice? Yeah. Commonly used. I'm going to say thyme. Okay, 
want to hear what the internet says? Sure. Cumin. See, I love cumin, but I love cumin seed. I do not like ground cumin. I find that cumin is one of those spices that if it's too, if there's too much, it overtakes everything. And that's all you can taste. Yeah. So I used to say I'm not a fan of cumin, but if I use it properly and I don't put too much in, I'm okay with it. That's why I prefer the seeds. I find it's really hard to, cumin, if it's ground, can be fresher or less fresh, depending on how long it's sitting in your pantry. But like one little slip and it's too much cumin and then you can't take it out. So Yeah. And other seeds like cardamom seeds. Do you like cardamom? We never used to use a lot of cardamom, but we've been stewing prune plums with cardamom and baking a lot more with cardamom, which I think is floral and it's quite lovely. And it goes really well to infuse like a a basmati rice. So if you put cardamom, cinnamon, all of the whole pods Mm -hmm. into or the bark, the cinnamon bark into your rice, for instance, without grinding it, it infuses it, but it doesn't overpower it. Mm-hmm. So that's a really smart thing to do. And in terms of like the fall season, the warming spices, I also think of ginger, which isn't a spice. It's actually a root mm-hmm. and turmeric and cinnamon. And they all have some really good nutritional properties, right? Like yeah. antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, that type of thing. So things like allspice, which is actually, it's a berry. It's like a dried fruit berry, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And all of these spices, I'm very attracted to them, especially in the fall. Like I look forward to making like, let's say, you know, a tea latte with all the ground spices just sprinkled on top. Really yummy. Yeah. We got a new Vitamix. And so we've been making smoothies and we've been putting ginger, turmeric, but like turmeric root, not the powder. Yeah, the actual root. The actual root. And it's really awesome. Did it it, turn your Vitamix yellow though? No, no. Oh, good. No, no. All good. I'm so scared of... um, (laughs) No, I know. It's all... It's it's hard to... Like everything else is yellow. So you kind of... You want to wear gloves and nothing you care about. But it's great to use. So you have tips for storing herbs and spices. What are they? Absolutely. So when you store your herbs and spices, you want to keep the dried spices for about six months. Mm -hmm. And if you find that you open the spice up, do the smell test. Mm -hmm. Smell it. If you cannot smell it, you're not going to taste it. Right. So what I suggest to do to kind of release the oils, put it in a skillet if you feel like you've lost it, like you can't smell it, and just, you know, move them around and toast them a little, and the essential oils will come out. So after about six months, they may be toast, right? So just check that out. And in terms of things like the root, it's kind of controversial with like ginger, for instance, where you should store it. But normally I keep some ginger in the root in the freezer because it's really easy to grate or peel in its frozen state. Mm -hmm. And I always have it. Like I don't have to run to the store if I run out, for instance. I keep some in the fridge and I keep some in my pantry. So I always have a stash to use. I don't have to run out and get it. Yeah, we usually just keep it in the pantry. And, and typically what I'll do is I'll use a microplane to grate it up. That's usually how I'm and dealing with ginger. And do you use the peel? The ginger peel? Yeah. No, I never have. You can. If you wash it well, the peel is actually healthy and fibrous and pretty good for you. So you don't have to peel it. My little trick is mm-hmm. to peel it with a spoon because yes. you don't lose it. Like if, I, if you start cutting it with a knife, you lose a lot of it. Yeah. No, the softer, less fibrous strands are on the outside. So you got to really be careful on how you skin it. So yes. Exactly. Yeah. Spoon. 
cool. All right. So soups and stews, you're going to use all these warming spices and gourds and fall vegetables. What about the accoutrements? What are you putting in your soups and stews to make them special at the end? So it's interesting because I like to get my dehydrator out. And I'm actually, I just dehydrated a bunch of things last night. So what I like to do is I like to embellish it with, let's say, a dehydrated orange on top or dehydrated apples. Like if it has apple in it, it kind Mm -hmm. of shows you if you're serving it to your family or guests, if you're doing outdoor entertaining still, social isolating. It gives you a a little tease of what's in the soup, like a little crispy apple on top. I also really like to do croutons with different things, like a little cubed sweet potato crouton. Mm -hmm. And you can throw sweet potato into the air fryer if you have that, and it makes it really crispy. I like to use oils, like basil oil. And if you watched, I know you watched my Wall of Chef episode, I used a chive oil. They're so pretty if you make different oils and infuse herbs into it and then just drizzle it on top. Pesto is beautiful. Potato skins, like you can make little crispy potato skins and cut them up and put them on. Pumpkin seeds, mustard seeds. So I've got two. Crispy shallots are a huge favorite in our house. That would be number one. And, you know, sometimes, now I'm not razzing you here, but with the pepperoncini, yeah. <laughs> um, you have, sometimes, you know, when you get all the peppers out, the oil's left over. Yes. And it usually gets like a, a deep reddish hue from having all the red chilies in it. And that oil itself can add a ton of flavor on the end. You know, I love it. And the funny, yeah. the funny thing is, and I, uh, you think I told you this on the show, yeah. I said I'd never heard of it, but the fridge, I couldn't see. I actually had it in my fridge. I'm sure you did. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't, I just didn't know what it was called, the exact name, but um, I like to also embellish pizzas with that. Yeah, for sure. Like the little seeds and yeah. I love a hot kick, right? Yeah. So at the end, it gives a really spicy edge to it and it's pretty as well. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, you're going to come back and you're going to discuss cooking from internet recipes. Yes. Yes. We're going to get back into home cooking now that the weather's getting like colder. Exactly. That was Shauna Lindzen. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss mindful self-care on The Tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Tracy Segrati has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. 
She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at sogratiyoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. So today we're going to talk about an important little subset of mindfulness, because I think a lot of people are struggling with the whipsawing of, you know, we're getting out of COVID, we're back into COVID. and. Yeah. And uh, I think we all need to take a little break and be good to ourselves. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I actually feel pretty passionate about this topic. You know, like the ability to carve out time to actually take care of ourselves. Because I feel like, you know, I feel like it's almost become sort of a buzzword. Like self-care. Oh, we've got to engage in self-care. And everybody kind of gets the idea of it. But the practical application, I feel, is really missing. And, you know, especially right now, I mean, it's not just COVID. It's, you know, financially what's happening in the world. It's racial inequality. It's, It's also the fatigue of this not knowing going on for such a long period of time. Right. We're just kind of we're all kind of tethered in this abyss of not knowing. Right. And it takes its toll. And and I think, you know, what I really want people to get today is that the whole purpose of self-care is about recovery, number one. So if you're in a place of burnout, it's about recovery. It's about preservation so that you can move forward in your life. And it's also about resilience. So once you've you've recovered and you're in this place where you've sort of preserved your sense of self in that, it's about kind of thriving, you know, coming to a place where you can thrive, you know, out of that state of burnout. Yeah. I mean, like if the notion of self-care seems like narcissistic or a cat licking its paws, you know, like... (laughs) You know, because, you know, you can you can look at it that way and they all oh, self-care, yeah. isn't that, you know, like it sounds like you're being indulgent, but that's not really it. I mean, like, even if you want to look at it in sort of an outward mode and say, OK, you're taking care of yourself so then you can take care of others. But you have yeah. to, you know, when we're all under this amount of stress, I think you have to look inward first to get that grounding that we just don't seem to have anymore. Right. That- yeah. Yeah. No, I love that you said cat licking its buzz. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like exactly how it's kind of viewed as if it's this luxury that's only yeah. for the wealthy and privileged. Right. Yeah. And the way I look at it is totally different. Think about a house, for example. Right. And especially if you've got an older house, you know, the older that your house is, the more time and effort you have to put into its upkeep. Your body is really no different. The older that it gets, the more time and energy you have to put into making sure that it is healthy, calm, strong, resilient. And, you know, if you're in the helping profession even, so let's, let's just start there because there's so many people who are working so hard during this pandemic, you know, you're probably burnt out. And I find when I talk about burnout, people don't even know what it is. And just to, just to kind of define it, it's really characterized by mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion in relation to prolonged and unrelenting stress or pressure, which is basically what's happening to us now. So if you imagine that all of the people that are in the helping profession, and I'm talking, you know, anyone who works in hospitals, any kind of therapist, anybody who's working with people's bodies, anybody who's working in entertainment and trying to keep people happy, there's just this unrelenting pressure. And the self-care is really the difference between being sick and being well in the face of that. That makes sense. 
so how does it connect to mindfulness, though? Like, is it the same thing, or is it... Yeah, that's such a great question. So what their research has shown, and there's there's been a lot of research on the relationship between mindfulness. It really, it's, it's a, sort of a cycle of things. It's mindfulness, self-awareness, self-care, and well-being. So if you can kind of picture a circle, right, and, and just imagine that there's a positive feedback cycle between all of those things. So anytime you have more mindfulness, and mindfulness is really about just being able to be in the here and now. So being able to be present with your body, being able to be present with your emotions, you know, being able to tolerate feeling all your feels, for instance. Self-awareness is about really understanding uh, your motivation for things. Like, say you do something in a relationship and you you kind of reflect back and go, oh, I really did that because actually, you know, I wanted attention. That's self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Right? Understanding why you did something. Self-care is really the actions that you do to take care of yourself. And we're we're, going to unpack that. Mm -hmm. And all of those things together contribute to well-being. So you being in a place where you're healthy in your physical body, where you have energy, where you're feeling like you have enough energy to engage with your friends, to uh, exercise when you need to exercise, to have conversations that help you be in connection rather than disconnection. That's really what well-being is. And so when you increase mindfulness, just paying attention in the present moment, it's like this. there's this like exponential uptick in your self-awareness. Do you think that mindful self-care is sort of like the entree into that loop? Like, oh, yeah, I love that. Because, you know, like with me, with my journey in health and wellness, it started with, you know, for me, the easy step in sort of starting that journey was diet and nutrition, right? Is this the equivalent of diet and nutrition? Just starting to take care of yourself and then sort of becoming self-aware and then sort of living in the moment and understanding that and so on and so forth. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. See, this is, this is why I love you. Your brain, Yeah. your big fat brain, Jamie. I I love it. That's exactly what it is. And you know, when we can engage in this mindful self-care as an entree, as you say, it's like we're able to really meet ourselves in each moment and understand like when we're outside of our window of tolerance, you know, when, mm-hmm. when stuff is happening that we can no longer cope with and we need to step back and really take good care of ourselves. And, you know, the interesting thing about self-care is that the more you do it, the better you feel. Right, And it doesn't have to be big chunks of time, but it does have to be regular. The frequency is really, really important. And this is something I've kind of harped on in our conversations about meditation. You know, I'm constantly going, it's frequency, it's frequency. Like, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to run for an hour every day. You know, even 15 minutes, if if that's what you've got, that 15 minutes is going to boost your energy to then do 15 minutes of something else or to be in connection for 15 minutes. So it's all linked, but I also want people to understand is that there is a discipline to it, Mm -hmm. right? You got to be a little bit disciplined and in a very basic way, that means actually scheduling it in first before you do anything else. Until it becomes your practice, right? Until it becomes your practice, until it becomes like brushing your teeth. Okay. So let's talk about some of the manifestations of how you could do self-care, right? Because, you know, like people, now that you've explained to them what it is and they're excited about it. (laughs) I hope. Let's hope. Yeah. (laughs) 
So, so what are the types of things we can do? Let's break it down. So like if you're going to do it for your physical body, what sort of self-care would you suggest? So the biggest thing is just move your body in any way for a minimum of 30 minutes per day. So what I suggest is finding something that does it for you. Mm-hmm. If yoga does it for you, great. If cycling does it for you, great. If running does it for you, awesome. Dancing, doesn't matter. Just move your body for a minimum of 30 minutes per day. And it could be vigorous house cleaning. If that's what, you know, floats your boat, do that. But you've got to move. And there's there's tons of evidence. Like, I don't have to go through it. No. It really decreases anxiety and depression. And the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do it. So any kind of movement, I don't care what it is. Just get your heart rate up. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second is psychological. Now, this could be formal or informal. Okay. So formal sort of psychological self-care might be participating in a therapeutic relationship. So we're talking about a therapist and having a therapist is an awesome way for you to, you know, glean skills to fill your toolbox with techniques that are really going to help you grow as a person. You could engage in group therapy or in an informal way, you can read self-help books. Right? You can mm-hmm. engage in self-reflection, and, and that will really help you. The third way is spiritual, and this is really about engaging in practices in a self-directed, culturally appropriate way that really fill you up, that allow you to connect to meaning and purpose. And, you know, for some people, this is meditation. For others, this is connection to nature. You know, a secular course that, I, that I've kind of slotted into this category is mindfulness-based stress reduction. You know, you can take, there's tons of MBSR, it's called MBSR courses that you can take online right now that are really, really fulfilling and that help you build the skills to be more connected. You know, and the final thing is just relational self-care, right? So really connecting to people that as a whole lift you up and that where you lift them up as well. So it's these mutually uplifting relationships that really are deep, you know, that allow you to feel seen and heard and the other person feels seen and heard and you walk away feeling like your tank is full, like you, you know, filled yourself with the gas that is like your life essence. With the relationships, I mean, aren't people doing that already? I mean, like if you've had friends or, you know, people that you speak to, I mean, you're, you're probably gravitating to the ones that make you feel better, right? Yeah, not always. No, no. I find that people get into habits with friendships like everything else. And, uh, you know, they engage in relationships for a variety of reasons. And sometimes that's out of duty or obligation or because they've known someone for a period of time or they're trapped in a specific dynamic. And so what mindfulness asks you to do is just to really look at things in a very curious way and notice, you know, what are the relationships that do objectively fill you up or... You know, who are the people that you connect with that when you get together, you do an activity with them so that you're both becoming healthier, right? Rather than, say, you know, staying up late, drinking, and talking about other people. You see the difference? Yeah. Right? Yep. So it's just really teasing those things out and applying them in your own personal recipe. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure, Jamie. Next month, we're going to discuss addiction, hypofrontality, and mindfulness. And I'm really interested in hypofrontality. I have a feeling this might be directed at me. (laughs) Just maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Dr. John Cowan, Shauna Lindzen, and Tracy Sograti. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. 
To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. The winner of the New Way to Cake cookbook contest on the October 3 show is Paula O'Keefe. Congratulations, Paula. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the growth of telemedicine, how to improve your posture, and thyroid health. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.